And you know what that sound means. It is time to get on the horn and ask us your questions about matters of faith or anything else in particular that you're curious about today in our Straight Talk segment here on Real Presence Live. We'll give you the toll-free number, 877-795-0122. We really enjoy talking to you because after a while, even we get tired of hearing of our own voices, right, Father? Father Gross, is it possible that we'd ever get tired of our stimulating conversation that you and I have with one another? I, I, I can't imagine we'd ever run out of a topic if, if a dash of salt is good a couple of <laughs> dashes are better right so we can add to it but you're absolutely right we we love nothing better than than to hear from you and have real conversations with, with you and what's in your heart your mind so um if you have a moment right now 877-795-0122 uh, please please call and we'd love to hear from you at this time very good. So we have a number of different topics that we're going to want to be launching into today, um, in addition to hearing from you and the questions that you have. So we hope to be able to receive those on Facebook as well as uh, on the phone. And it looks like Father Leffer is chomping at the bit to well, begin. I want to, you know, we I actually have uh, text messages coming in already, but I want to break because I, Father Gross, this is an extremely important topic, and we really need to discuss this. I okay. The Lion King. Yes, indeed. <laughs> You're a Lion King expert, and they got the remake <laughs> out there. And I wanted to get your opinion on this, because this, this is very important, the formation of you as a seminarian and a priest of God. <laughs> so we, we really need to talk about the in-depth oh, here. Aren't my professors edified to hear that that's what uh, informed me? Yes. 25 years ago, the animated feature, of the Disney feature, The Lion King, came out. And this summer, there was a um, live-action remake of the motion picture that was released a little over a month ago in, in mid-July and uh, earlier this summer on an episode of Real Presence Live we were talking a little bit about this and um, kind of wondering how Disney is going about these live action remakes so I would say for the most part having seen this uh, live action remake of The Lion King um, I liked it and I liked how closely they stayed to certain parts of the story and um, in a sense these are spoilers but I think so many people know kind of the basics of the story. A couple of interesting things that they added. First of all, one thing I thought was interesting is that they rendered the villain, Scar, as um, not quite as cartoonish, but more of a, um, a hard scrabble sort of character. Uh, there wasn't any, um, or there wasn't nearly the sorts of flamboyance or buffoonery, but just, you know, this is a bad dude kind of thing. So it was almost like a, a rendering of a post adolescence of so that character. So a clear cut between good and evil. Definitely. It? And there was also working into the picture a sort of love triangle that uh, Zarabi and Mufasa, um, you know, who are the parents of Simba, that uh, Scar had eyes for Zarabi and was rebuffed or, or whatever you would say. So that well, okay, works. So the story. At your encouragement, I went because I thought I want to be prepared to have this discussion with you. So. Be prepared. Okay, thank you. Anyway, <laughs> so. Here's a couple of quick thoughts on this because we have other topics. And but um, so what? First of all, I want to tell you because of your inspiration in the seminary, I enjoyed the first one better. Maybe it's because yeah. it was. I thought the music was better, but here's the humor was better. I thought this one was darker and not as. Fun. That first one they had a light touch. These these movies make it when there's a light touch, you know. And so and one of them Rafiki, I thought they they diminished his his role in there about being the conscience or that role of conscience in there or whatever. But yeah. having said all that. 
I enjoyed it. It, mm-hmm. it, was, it was good to... Yeah, to go I, I, I thought that the, the dialogue between Timon and Pumbaa seemed rather flat, you know, and I, I don't know if it would have been good to try to remake that too exactly, but another interesting thing added in this live-action version was a little bit more of the backstory about how Nala uh, went out to find Simba, that that was a perilous sort of thing, and it was interesting the minutes that they spent in that scene of, of her kind of hatching the plot and the other lionesses saying, no, don't Dare and, and all the rest of it. So, you know, those are some of the things that were added to it. For somebody who didn't have an experience of it the first time around, I mean, it's it's a wonderful story, so definitely uh, go and see it. I'm sure in a lot of theaters it's still running, if not in the uh, second releases, perhaps by now. So, that's my quick take. Awesome. Very good. We have someone on the phone here, and uh, it is someone we've spoken with before. Francis, Francis is calling from Pizek. Welcome to Real Presence Live. Oh, thank you. You have a question for us today. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're talking about movies right now, but a few years, or a few weeks back, uh, we had a reading or the gospel. I can't remember which it was. Mm-hmm. Um, it was pertaining to the birth of uh, Mar- or Mary was given birth. Yes. And, um, what was I going to say? It was kind of like a joyful, happy movie starting, and then in the middle. You got this horror flick coming in with this dragon with the ten horns and yeah. ready to devour the baby, and it ended with a joyful, happy thing. But mm-hmm. what, what did this dragon and all this have to do with? with it you know it's kind right of- right um and and if memory serves that was the first reading for the uh, holy day of obligation last week for the assumption from chapter 12 of the book of revelation and the images of a woman who is about to give birth who is given refuge and how this dragon is roaming and patrolling the earth trying to devour the child who is to be born and the protection that's given i guess the very first thing i would say is that and I I don't know how helpful this is necessarily, but um, the book of Revelation is a different sort of literature, a different sort of literary form than most other parts of the Bible. As apocalyptic literature, it speaks of things which are symbolic of other things. And that can be difficult, I think, for a lot of us in our common... um, habits to to get used to because it's not a straight up narrative like uh you know the books of Samuel or the the gospels and so i think it helps if a person is keeping that idea in the back of their mind especially with them um, you know the reference to it can be reference of the blessed virgin mary certainly is reference of the church you know bringing souls to uh, to birth in christ and various things like that but yeah any specific thoughts about the dragon and, yeah, and so- the, the setting yeah, you set that up very well. And so these different uh, types of liter- literary expressions, but then at the heart of it, we know in faith that the Holy Spirit is using that to inspire and communicate to us what, what, what God wants us to know or understand. So you can you can look there at this particular reading. And so, for example, the woman, just as Father Gross said, can be the church, can be the Blessed Mother. That's obviously why the church is associating it with the reading on the Assumption, because mm-hmm. it's, it's directly towards the Blessed Mother. You hear in there there's a theme of water, and so there we get baptism, these children being brought into eternal life through this woman, the church, the Blessed Mother. 
Well, Satan, he never gives up, and he's there like the dragon, wanting to consume or to destroy, to not leave the church alone, so always harassing and so forth. Now, one of the things, um, there's a lot of people who have written about this, and if you go in there, you, uh, Francis, you asked specifically about the ten horns, the dragon with the ten horns. So they, they go in there and they say, well, the, the, and this is where the famous number 666 shows up, and they say, well, the Jews use these numbers to speak um, about particular things. So that number 666 specifically was directed at Nero, who was the Roman emperor at that time. If you, you take those numbers, it's his name, Nero, is what comes out. So they're saying he is like the Antichrist. He is like the enemy, the dragon, who, who mm-hmm. he declared all-out war on the Christians, the ghetto there, and was, was destroying them at that time. Right. And so on the one hand, spiritually, the evil one is out to destroy the Christians. In reality, the the ruler of that time was literally killing the Christians, putting them to death. Right. And the ten horns on the dragon referred to then um, the 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 ten leaders or governors who came after him. That there, there was this period of persecution for the Christians that, that covered that time. And so the the dragon is Satan. He's behind all the evil. You have the leader, Nero, and then you have all his minions who come and are constantly persecuting those Christians or trying to put yeah. them to death. Okay, that's, that's time-specific, but then we can apply it spiritually in our own lives where, okay, as Christians, are we being faithful? What are the things in the world that are attacking us as Christians? Like right now, as we sit here, there's Christians being persecuted, put to death all over the world. Mm-hmm. So that in a certain way, this still continues until the day yeah. of final judgment. And I'm also mindful quickly of something later on in the book of Revelation where there is a beast, you know, who has the mark of the beast with seven heads and crowns on each of those heads. And the number seven is believed to rep- to cons- to um, correspond to the seven hills in the city of Rome, which was the place of, uh, you know, the place of such torment and persecution being carried out against Christians. So we ought not to make the mistake, as many people do who are self-proclaimed biblical prophecy experts, of claiming that, you know... um, the church is the the Rome, you know, so that's being uh, that you know that that's being criticized so so severely. But it is the secular leadership that's trying to uh, trying to thwart the the faith. You know, and I think so, Francis. What, it, what too, I really want to commend you on this that you're paying attention to this or bringing this up. And what this really calls to mind is Scripture is so powerful, important, and oftentimes when we, we look there, it, it's always a both and thing. It's like Yes, here's the word. The word can be literal. It can be figurative. It can be, it's usually all encompassing. We have all these layers of meaning. It's such a rich source of inspiration and, and a call to relationship with God. So, yeah. yeah, and it can be very challenging all at the same time. Right. Well, thank you very much uh, for that question and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you, Appreciate Francis. It. Thanks for listening. Okay, so Father Gross, there's a couple things have come in on text, okay? One of them was uh, Jackie from Fargo. And she says, I think we both know Jackie. Yes. But she says she was so inspired during the prayer time because uh, she was saying she doesn't know if that intention was for them about selling the house, but she and her husband are, are in the midst right now of trying to sell their house. And she said she felt totally covered and inspired by the prayer that went out over the air and it felt like they were they were part of something. Instant uh, feedback. Bigger. I yep. love that. Okay. And then <laughs> thank um, you. Okay. So then a couple of questions have come in as well. Let's let's try this one. This one is from Robert. Okay. So here we go. Put on the old sacramental one hundred and one theology good. hat. Here we go. 
What are the requirements for receiving the anointing of the sick? I know you can receive it for things like pneumonia or terminal cancer, but how about things like chronic back pain or allergies? What what are the rules with anointing of the sick? Well, we can answer that in a couple of different ways. First of all, who is eligible to be a recipient of anointing of the sick? A um, baptized Catholic at or above the age of reason, you know, typically is what we say. And the, the rites of anointing of the sick includes prayers that are also tailored toward children or young people and not necessarily toward the end of one's life. The traditional name that had been attributed to the sacrament, extreme unction, uh, a lot of people took to mean extreme, so I have to be right on death's door before I could even think of receiving this. The church is trying to find a middle way where we don't want to um, entertain people's scruples with regard to an anointing of the sick to consider it like as some sort of like magical or something like that, but not to be so restrictive that one cannot rightfully ask for it. So some of the things that I like to just recommend to people is I've is if you are at an advanced age, if you have a chronic, a serious medical condition, or if you are preparing for some sort of a surgery, especially something where you would be under anesthesia and, and things like that. So it can be a um, a proactive sort of sort of thing, you know, in those cases too. Um, and I, what I try to do is on a public basis, uh, at least twice a year or so, I try to have anointing of the sick uh, following certain masses as a way of saying, well, this doesn't just has to happen in the privacy of one's own home or in a hospital room, but it's not as though a person should think, okay, it's it's kind of like your manicure or pedicure, you're every, you know, coming right. to get an anointing either, you know what I'm saying? So somewhere in the middle is kind of what I would, would strive for. And, you know, if, if a person is of an advanced age where pneumonia can be a really dangerous thing or, you know, um, other severe pain, uh, I would say, you know, rather than not to, I definitely confer the sacrament. So so here's some things, and we want to make a distinction between like sacraments and sacramentals, which both are very important. Those sacramentals lead to the sacraments and, and there's so, and the great thing about being Catholic is we have everything, you know, so, and it's, well, what do you use in what situation? So here's some particular things for the listeners to think about and work through that Father Gross and I would have to discern if we were asked about this. So the first thing is what he's encouraging, like, I think there's this idea, especially in the elderly population, if you call for the priest, it means somebody's dying. Mm-hmm. Don't, well, first of all, if somebody is dying, call the priest. Right. Okay. But second, don't wait till you're dying before yeah. you call the priest. And we don't mean to scare you by showing up to right. offer anointing because exactly. it doesn't mean that we know something you don't, right. like, exactly. you know, the Grim Reaper's okay. two steps behind me or okay, something. Okay. So then the other yeah. thing about this sacrament is it's both healing the body and the soul. And because of that, it's, it, it also is, it has to do with forgiveness of sins. Now, part of the right is to ask the person if they're in need of the sacrament of confession to go. Yes. Sometimes they're not able to respond, and so you can't. But, okay, so that's why they, like a lot of people say, Father, my, my child is sick. My two-year-old child is sick. Here, come and anoint him. And there's kind of this, for me as a priest, is always like the sorrow, like, well, technically I can't anoint your child because he's not the age of reason. Well, why do they have to be the age of reason? Well, this has to do with forgiveness of sins. So we'd say at that point, the two-year-old child is not responsible, personally responsible for any sins. First of all, make sure they're baptized. If they are baptized, okay. But that that's the one we can say. However, even if I, I'm by canon law, I'm not allowed to do anointing the sick for a two-year-old child, we still are Christian. And so we can still lay hands on, we still can invoke the Holy Spirit. We can ask the Holy Spirit to come and pray. And and even, and I bet 
to Father Gross, I have, I have all kinds of stories to share about things that happen, just being a priest, interceding, laying hands on, invoking the Holy Spirit in those situations where you can't technically do anointing. But there, And this is where the faith of the believers, we come together in faith, we call on the Holy Spirit. So like like so the sacrament of anointing is one thing but the the prayer for sick interceding for the sick and all there's this whole right. host of things and i think as catholics sometimes i don't know that we do a good job of using the the grace the the things that are available at our fingertips for the health of the body of right. christ mm-hmm. the sacrament of anointing of the sick is a part is one piece of what we would call uh, last rites and if a person is of that uh, you know serious condition to receive last rites and let's say they rebound well then you can certainly receive it again it's not as though we would be restrictive in that in that case so thanks so much for that question and we still are looking forward to hearing from you we have a few minutes left in this segment Eight seven 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 nine five zero one two two is the number. You can also uh, bring us your questions on our Facebook page on Real Presence Radio. That number again is eight seven 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 nine five zero one two two. Okay, here, here's another question that has come in on uh, through uh, uh, the phone, uh, not on air, but on through texting. Okay, okay. So here, here's a question. I'll, I'll let us have it here, and then we can discuss this one. Um, what does it mean in the Benedictus? Sorry, in the Benedictus prayer, when mm-hmm. Zechariah talks about John, and he specifically says, You, my child, shall be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give his people knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of sins. So specifically, what does it mean that John prepares Jesus' way by the forgiveness of sins? Did John in any way have the ability to forgive sins? Mm-hmm. The uh, baptism that John the Baptist was offering, he said, was for the forgiveness of sins as a means of moving people's hearts, um, uh, animating their consciences so that they would indeed be able to receive the fullness of the graces of the Son of God upon his coming. When it comes to the uh, language of Zechariah in that uh, canticle in chapter 1 of the Gospel of Luke, uh, there are a lot of references that go directly back to, I would say, Isaiah chapter 40 and talking about how um, a prophet would come along to prepare the way of the Lord and to make straight his paths. So that's some of the very same language that's being employed there. John the Baptist is, in a certain sense, a bridge between that time of the Old Testament and the prophecies and the time of Christ as the forerunner of the Lord who directs people to conversion of heart as the means of embracing that encounter with the Lord. Very good. The, uh, our number 877-795-0122. Please call in with your questions or concerns at this time. And then, and then uh, here's something that helps me because, you know, as a seminarian theologian, as a priest, I've often gone to that place and what's going on here, Lord, you know, kind of thing. And the, the thing that kind of gave me a little breakthrough to help understand was, you know, we, we talk about the spiritual life. There's the you have the natural life and the supernatural life, right? So when we say natural life, we mean the fact that Father Gross and I are, we're human beings. We're not angels and we're not animals. So to be natural means, what does it mean? We're a rational being with freedom and will. Supernatural would be angelic or divine. Those are, they're, they're super, so they're above natural, right? So what John is doing there, and th- I always think of it as, is water cleanses, it washes, right? So what John is doing is a natural forgiveness of sins. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like right now, if I reach across and I hurt Father Gross, 
there, there's a natural justice that's demanded that that I would go to Father Gross and I would make amends for any harm that I've caused him or done to him, and, and there's a demand of justice mm-hmm. that needs to be met there right. on a natural level, and then so when Jesus comes though, the thing that's different between Jesus and John. John does not have the ability to apply the divine spirit, the Holy Spirit, to that natural act of healing or forgiveness. Jesus does. And, and so, so there's a natural forgiveness and a supernatural forgiveness. John's preparing. He's getting our natural stuff in order so that when the supernatural comes, we can actually receive, or there's room to receive that Holy Spirit. Yeah, just to tie a bow on this, uh, John the Baptist calls for the external ritual to have internal meaning. Remember that passage from chapter 3 in the Gospel of Luke where a group of Pharisees are coming, and instead of saying, hey, I'm glad you showed up, come on in, get in line, he's saying, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, etc. So why, why is John the Baptist chewing them out? Because they are wanting to be opportunists. They are wanting to be seen as doing something that is the latest religious fad and they have no intention of examination of heart as happened so many times you know when the pharisees were confronting jesus and they were so quick to criticize others for their failures with regard to observance of the law but were not going to hold themselves accountable to anything dead men's tombs they were dead in the heart they were like whitewashed tombs that's right yes yes so we have a caller here on the phone josh is calling in from jamestown thank you for calling into straight talk and welcome to real presence live thank you for your for your time absolutely my question my question for you as i actually know both of you um I am an engaged man, and on the question of NFP, I am nervous about the idea of the everyday life that would keep you away from um, wanting to have kids. How do you properly discern like when to have kids that's something that is kind of a mystery at least to me and my fiance we want to be open to life at all times so then why does the church seem to really like to push nfp um i hope that makes sense okay josh it would help us could you in a a quick nutshell just talk to us about the nervous part what's the nervous what's the thing specifically that makes you nervous being out of control or not being able to conceive or conceiving when you don't want to what's the thing that makes you nervous um not discerning whether or not we're supposed to have the kid uh, a kid right i want to i want to have as many kids as possible but that's that's my own want how how do i um okay. I, and i don't want it to just be God doesn't let me have kids by okay. the physical realm. I as want many to kids as God heart. wants you to I, have. I, yeah. I think I can help you with this one. Okay, so we're, you know, we, we, we throw that term around NFP. It stands for Natural Family Planning. I want to focus a minute on the natural part of it. What, what, what's so beautiful about this is, so Josh, if you just think about your life right now, if you go back from this moment back across your whole life and you look at an examine take the sexual part out of it, but just think of your life, things where um, 
you, you were worried maybe about friends or you were worried about being successful in tests in school or, or s- sports achievements or, I mean, think about like kind of anything. And in your relationship with God and you were asking for things or you were worried you weren't going to get the thing that you wanted or you were worried it was going to be too much for you, right? But in a natural way, you related to God, you related to your parents, you related to your siblings, you related to your friends. And if you think about those situations, you it always happened at, at the right moment, the right time. You knew when to say yes. You knew when to say no. You knew when to try harder. You knew when to back off. Okay? That's your natural life. Mm-hmm. You and, and, and if you look back right now, you're like, oh, the Lord was always there. My family was always there. And... It always worked out. It came so. Okay, now let's look forward. If you take that confidence that you have from looking back on your past, you'll realize. Okay, as we're sitting here right now, you probably don't have the ability to know. Oh gosh, how many children should we have, or what's going on there? Well, one, you're not married, so you don't have the grace of marriage. Okay, but the other thing is, when you're there in the moment and you're with your spouse and God is with you and you're invoking God and you're actively pursuing her and that cycle is no longer her cycle but yours and you're doing it together you're going to know it's it's very similar I was just recently working with a family whose loved one was dying and they had this big question you know do we put a feeding tube in or if we put a feeding tube in how do we know when to take it out I mean these really really big important questions and kind of, they really had, it was really beautiful to be with them as they're processing, working it through. But then there came this moment where I just turned to them and I said, you know, this is one of those situations where at the moment, you know, you know when the moment is like, yes, we commit, or at this moment, we say no. Because there's grace and it's a real living thing. And so I'm focusing on the natural part of NFP, where if you do in something that's not natural, like artificial, all it does, it makes mm-hmm. you sterile. It, it, it gives you this illusion of being in control, but you really aren't in control. And it actually dominates your life, and you end up serving the artificial thing. Where, where this thing, in this natural life of complementarity between the man and the woman, working it out day by day with the Lord, you have grace of the moment. And the image that's coming to my mind right now is the man in the desert. If, if they were worried and they tried to take more manna than the, what they needed because they didn't think there would be enough, it, it always rotted on them and they didn't have it for the future. If they trusted the Lord, he always gave them exactly what they needed, when they needed, in the amount that they needed, never too little, never too much. And, and, and so that's a real image that is given to us about our sexuality. If you allow God, he will be there with you. He'll, he'll never give you too much. It'll never be too little. It's going to be exactly what's there and learning to thank and praise the Lord for the amount that's there. Mm-hmm. So, and, and that's what I've just described to you is called the life of faith, where we live by faith, uh, not by what we can control with our own hands. And the lifestyle of natural family planning is something that needs to be fortified with that prayer, that trust in God and that trust in one another, that uh, communication in order to recognize the gifts that uh, God gives in the manner in which they give them so that if uh, you're... Um, you know, if one's wife, if one's fiance's cycle is different, then one may, you know, may understand that the certified instructors of NFP can help, you know, nail those things down. And then you can go from that 
um, data, you might say, to, uh, to 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 that more spiritual approach. Josh, I want to I want to give you a word of uh, encouragement here, in that I am I'm so proud of you. First of all, that you're you're asking the right questions. It, it's not easy, and it is hard. But the thing is, we we have such a lack of real men out there who are willing to actually ask the questions, who are willing to actually relate to their, their fiancés or their spouses in a real way, to be real Christian men who bear this and, and are with it, with their wives in it, bearing it with them, instead of trying to avoid or go around it. Um, there's so, you know, if you can take this thing and be real with your fiancé in this thing, there's going to be other real difficult things that come up in your life as well. I just, I want to commend you Amen to for that. asking the question and being open to considering it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I second that. Uh, good on you. Thank you for that call. And thanks to all who called or wrote in with their questions. This segment is on at 930 Central Time every Monday through Friday.